a nation who has no boundaries, a nation whose citizens are a royal priesthood, bringing the praises of mankind to our God and bringing the blessings of God to the world, a nation to which anyone and everyone is welcome to immigrate, a nation whose warriors bring hope and peace and love and joy, light and life to the world. A nation whose king gave himself for our freedom and our life. A nation whose king will never die. A nation whose king will reign forever. A nation whose people give all that they have to take care of one another, to take care of their neighbors, and even to take care of their enemies. That's what it is to be a Christian, isn't it? That being a Christian isn't just about what we believe. It's not just about where we go when we die. Being a Christian is a part of being a part of a global kingdom. This is the dream of Jesus, and we're living it out right here, aren't we? That we are together, and we have all things in common, meaning that we are willing to share with each other, so that as the church in the book of Acts that there won't be a needy person among us. We talked about a few weeks ago that where Jesus is king, people take care of each other's needs. That the fact that we take care of each other's needs here and across the globe, it is a testimony to the presence of the Spirit of God and the kingship of Jesus. And we talked the week after that as we looked at 2 Corinthians, that when you see a need... As a citizen of this kingdom, you should look for your abundance, right? When you see a need, you look for your abundance. And when you see your abundance, you look for a what? A need, right? You you look to meet someone's need. And then last week, we talked about the fact that God is glorified when His gifts flow through you to others. That's what this series has been all about. That Jesus is taking care of His people his citizens of his kingdom globally. He is taking care of his people through his people. And so the question is, are we all as individuals participating in that? Are we all participating in that kind of kingdom generosity? Are we participating in having all things in common with each other where we're saying we're in it together? We live together, we die together. What's mine is yours. My house Is your house, if you're hungry or need clothes or a roof over your head, Jesus has given me those things to share with others. That's what it is to be the people of Jesus. And so as we wrap this series up, as I was looking last year, that was 2017, right? I still haven't figured out what year it is right now. But last year, 2017, I was getting close to the end of the year, planning out this year's sermons and thinking about this series having all things in common and thinking, how are we going to wrap that, that up? And as I looked at the calendar, I realized that Wednesday of this week is when the Jews remember the story of Esther. It's when they celebrate what happened during the time of Esther. And I thought, that's it. That's perfect. That's the perfect way to wrap up this series. That's the perfect story to show what God's people should do for one another, what God's people should be willing to risk 
for one another. What God's people should be willing to leverage for one another. And so let's talk about the story of Esther. And maybe you're familiar with the story. Maybe you heard it in Sunday school when you were a kid. Maybe you're not familiar with it. Or maybe you know the story, but not some of the details. So let's kind of think about it. Esther lived in the age of the Persian Empire. Now, we're going to put a map up of the Persian Empire. Um, But before that, before this empire was Persian, about 587 years before Jesus came along, the last of the exiles in Jerusalem were taken over by Babylon. And the Babylonians brought them as slaves, as captives, in chains, brought them out of Jerusalem and took them far away from their homeland to live in Babylon. And the city of Jerusalem itself was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. And these captives were taken away to live in a foreign land under a foreign government, under oppression as slaves. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't really picture that. What it would be like for someone to come in and to know that what is happening is a punishment from God, that God has abandoned you to your enemies because you have abandoned God. And for these foreign oppressors to come in to destroy your nation, to destroy your capital, and to take you in chains from your home to a faraway land to be slaves under their cruel foot. But about 50 years after that, the Babylonian Empire itself fell to the Medes and the Persians. And the Persian Empire kind of took over. And the King Cyrus said that they were free to go back home if they wanted to go back home. And some of the Jews went back to Jerusalem and they began to rebuild. But a lot of the Jews remained spread around the empire. In fact, when we look at the story of Esther, this is a hundred years after Jerusalem fell. And I've always kind of wondered, why, why didn't they all just go back home? They're free now. They're not slaves anymore. They can go back home. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? And in fact, it's really not too far removed from some of the things that have happened really close to home. That even after the slavery law changed and people had freedom, they had made their home here. This is where, and when I say here, I mean here in in Persia. And people like Mordecai. Mordecai had never seen Jerusalem. His grandfather was the slave that was taken out of Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, and then later it became Persia. Persia and Susa was where Mordecai's home was. It's where his family was. That's where his profession was. That's where his livelihood was. He wasn't about to pick up and move back to his homeland, even though he was living there and really living as a second-class citizen in still a fairly oppressive culture. And so this is the story about Esther. This is the world into which she's, she's born. It's really very relevant to us, isn't it? A story about racism and immigration and genocide, and clashes with culture, and faith, and selflessness, and sacrifice, and salvation. And so here you have Mordecai and his niece Esther, who he's kind of raised as his daughter, and they're living in Susa. And and then at the beginning of the story, the king of Persia is throwing a big party. In fact, he throws a party for about six months. Can you imagine? I mean, they're just having just a good old time for about six months. At the end of six months, he, he calls his wife, the queen, Vashti, out to kind of show her off. I want to show everybody how good looking my wife is and parade her out in front of everybody. And she says, nope, not going to do it. No, I'm not coming out. 
And that makes the king furious and he's angry and he deposes her, takes away her crown and says, that's it, you're not the queen anymore, we're going to find another one. And so they have kind of a beauty contest and, and finally they pick a new queen. It was kind of the ancient version of The Bachelor, I guess, you know. Um, but, but finally they find this young lady, Esther, who's this young Jewish girl and she hides her ethnicity from the king. She hides her ethnicity from everyone, but she becomes the queen. And soon after that, an evil man named Haman is promoted to prime minister. And Haman is real full of himself, and he likes to parade around the streets and have people bow down to him. In fact, the king commands that when, when Haman comes walking down the street, people should bow down before him. And Mordecai, Esther's uncle, refuses to do it. And Haman comes walking by, and Mordecai stands, and he's not about to bow down. And the servants go to him. Haman's angry, of course. And the servants of Haman go to him and say, Why, Mordecai, why won't you bow down? Just, just do this thing. Why, why do you refuse this? And his answer is simple. I'm a Jew. That's why. I'm a Jew. And so they come back and they tell Haman what Mordecai has said. And Haman is furious and he says, fine, I'm not just going to kill him. I'm going to kill his family. I'm going to kill his whole nation. I'm going to kill his whole people. Anywhere they are in the empire, I'm going to wipe the Jews off the map. And he goes to the king with his idea. And he goes to the king and he tells him, I'll pay for it myself. But we're going to destroy all of these people. We read in Esther chapter 3. Here's what he says to the king. There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples of all, in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people and they do not keep the king's laws so that it's not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business that they may put it into the king's treasury. So in other words, I'll pay it for it myself, but these people have to die. And the king doesn't argue. The king doesn't refuse. He signs it into law. And it becomes law that on a certain day, all of the Jews, no matter where they live in the empire, will die. Now, can you imagine getting that news? Chapter 4 of Esther. Chapter 4 and verse 1. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. Verse 4. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her the queen was deeply distressed. Now the queen, I mean, she's kind of living in privilege and, and separated from the people. And she's kind of up in her ivory tower and doesn't really know what's happened. She has no idea about this law that's been passed. All she knows is that her uncle's parading around in sackcloth. And she says, man, I don't know what's going on, but this has to change. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth. But he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hatak. One of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai to open in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate and Mordecai told him all that had happened. 
and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king, listen to this part, to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Verse 10. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except to the one the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I've not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So Mordecai says, listen, you're in a position. You have the opportunity to save our people. You have the opportunity to plead on behalf of our people. See our plight. See the danger that we're in. See what's about to happen. And you are in a unique position. And you have a unique privilege. And you have unique power that you can leverage on behalf of us. And Esther says, listen, you know the law. Everybody knows the law. I know the law. I can't just walk in there. That is against the law, and it is a law for which there is the death penalty. She had every reason to expect that if I go in there, being who I am, even though I'm the queen, you remember what happened to the last queen? You remember what he did just because she said she wasn't going to come out and parade in front of his friends? Do you remember what he did to her? And here you want me to go in and break the law? You want me to go in and face the death penalty to beg for the life of my people? Verse 12. They told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Don't think to yourself that in the king's palace you'll escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place but you and your father's house will perish. There's so many things there I wish we had time to unpack. One is it's interesting that the whole book of Esther, God is not mentioned specifically even once. Only book in the Bible where God is not mentioned specifically even once. But it's obvious that that's who Mordecai is trusting in, isn't it? That Mordecai says, listen, I want you to use the position that you're in. I want you to use this opportunity, even though it means risking your own life, even though it means putting your own neck on the line. I want you to risk everything to plead on behalf of our people, and I want deliverance to come through you. But even if you keep silent and you don't say a thing, God's still going to take care of his people. God will deliver his people, whether it's through you or someone else. But if you keep silent, if you don't speak up, If you don't plead on behalf of your people, if you think because you live up there in an ivory palace, because you think that you're removed from your people, you will. You will suffer the consequences. But God will deliver his people. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, that's the capital city, And hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Listen to this part. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Now that is faith. Now that is courage. Now that is seeing 
God's people and seeing herself, even though her situation couldn't be more different, seeing herself as a part of her people and to say, we live together or we die together. And if I perish, I perish, but I will risk everything. I will risk my crown. I will risk my position. I will risk my privilege. I will risk my home. I will risk my relationship with the king. I will risk my life to save my people. Now that's the kind of spirit we need, isn't it? And then if we keep reading the story, we probably know what happens, don't we? The tables are turned, one of the most marvelous turns of table in the Bible. And the, the honor that Haman tried to get for himself ends up being bestowed on Mordecai and on the Jews. And the trap that Haman had set for the Jews ends up being sprung upon Haman and on Haman's lynchmen. God defeats his enemies through the selflessness of Esther. Now, let's talk about some application, right? And part of it is, surely we can see Jesus in this story, can't we? That God defeats his enemies through the selflessness and the sacrifice of someone who will step up and do what needs to be done. Someone who will step up and put their own neck on the line so that God's people can be delivered and so that his enemies can be defeated. That's exactly what Jesus has done, isn't it? That Jesus came and he delivered and brought back all of his scattered remnant from all over the world. He ended the exile. He delivered his people. He defeated his enemies by the giving of his own life. Not just risking his life, but giving his life. And at the end of the story of Esther, it's interesting that, that a lot of the, the Gentiles pretend to be Jews in order to be saved from destruction. And that's where we come into the story, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? That here, these privileged Gentiles pretend to be exiles, pretend to be immigrants, tie themselves into the Jewish people so that they can be delivered. And that's what we've done, isn't it? That Jesus has offered us the opportunity as Gentiles to be grafted into the family. Not to pretend to be part of the Hebrew family, but to literally be adopted into that family. So that now this is our people. So that now this is our nation. This is our kingdom. And Jesus is delivering this kingdom from slavery and from death. He's ending the exile and defeating our enemies through his own selflessness. It's a perfect example of the gospel, a perfect foreshadowing of the gospel. But it also makes me wonder, do we have a spirit of Esther? Do we have that same type of selflessness amongst ourselves? That we would say, I'm willing to risk what I have. I'm willing to leverage what I have. I'm willing to put my own neck on the line for my people. Are there Esthers among us? Are we the kind of people that have the spirit of Esther? And as I was kind of thinking through that, I I stumbled across a story this week that I found just rather fascinating. Uh, It is the story of, let me see, Jane Campbell McKeever. I think that's the next slide. Jane Campbell McKeever, who is the sister, or was the sister of Alexander Campbell. Alexander Campbell, of course, a preacher and started a school and Jane Campbell McKeever started a school as well for young ladies called Pleasant Hill in Virginia, 1842. Now, just imagine what you know about Virginia in 1842. 
Just imagine the way uh, life was in Virginia in 1842. And Jane Campbell McKeever not only ran a school and teach, taught young ladies the Bible and taught them uh, what they needed to know for education and to live their lives, but also ran what we call a station on the Underground Railroad, risking her life, risking her privilege, risking her influence to save the lives of her brothers and sisters in Christ, to save the life of her neighbors, hiding them and rescuing them, risking her own self, risking her own fortune, risking her own neck. And in fact, she didn't just do this quietly. She published a letter to the editor in a local magazine. Again, this is 1854, Virginia, praising the editor of the magazine, saying, I truly rejoice to find that one of our brotherhood has had the fortitude and independence of mind to rise superior to the reproach and opposition of so many of his professed Christian brethren in behalf of the poor, oppressed, and degraded slaves. I trust that you will be encouraged to persevere, believing that God, who in all generations has been the God of the oppressed, will strengthen you and bless your efforts in the good cause for which you plead. I intend to exert my influence in this vicinity amongst our brethren in behalf of your magazine. Looks like the spirit of Esther to me, doesn't it to you? Someone who's willing to put it on the line for their brother's and sisters in Christ, for their neighbor, someone who is willing to risk all for someone who can't speak up for themselves. And that leads me to ask, are we living today as Esthers? Are we willing to stand up for and speak up for and reach out to and risk all for and leverage what we have on behalf of our brothers and our sisters and our neighbors? Young people, when I was in school, When I was in junior high and high school, all I wanted was to sit at the popular table. I've told you that before, I know. And I I hate that I was so shallow. I hate that I overlooked people. I hate that there were people that I wouldn't associate with because I didn't want my reputation tarnished. I wish that I had had the spirit of Esther. I wish that I had had the spirit of Christ to leverage what I had to reach out to someone else. There are millions and millions and millions of young people across this country that are depressed and anxious and angry and feel alone and feel outcast and they need people to see them and to love them and to reach out to them and to say, I don't care about my reputation. I don't care what people think of me. I'm willing to leverage that and risk that for the sake of my brother or my sister or my neighbor, or even my enemy, because that's what Jesus did for me. That's what God's people are supposed to do for one another. God's gifts are supposed to flow through us to others. We have brothers and sisters in Christ all over this world. We have brothers and sisters in Christ that are in third world countries and war-torn countries and Muslim countries and Islamic countries. I know that's the same thing. And Hindu countries. And we have brothers and sisters that are facing persecution and are facing poverty and are oppressed and are hurting all across the world. And maybe you're in a position to plead their case. Maybe you're in a position like Esther to plead on their behalf. And maybe you're not. But you're in a position to see them and to love them, 
and to pray for them. And we have people living right here, next door to us, all around us, that politicians want to use as pawns and ploys and want to talk about as if they're just talking about policies and politics. And I'm not saying policies and politics aren't important, but I'll tell you what's the most important is people. People. See people. Love people. Risk all for people. Are we willing to love one another? Love our brothers and sisters in Christ here and in our city and in our state and in our country and our world? Are we willing to allow God's blessings to flow through us to them? Are we willing to put our life on the line? Because that's the example we have in Jesus. That Jesus was willing to spend himself for others. To end our exile. To bring us out of slavery. To set us free. To help us live. And that's where I want us to land this morning. Is that the only life not wasted is a life spent on others. The only life not wasted is a life spent on others. You know, we sang a few minutes ago a song that's taken from... 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 16. And you know, we all know John 3.16, and that's a great passage, but I love 1 John 3.16 as well. It says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Are we willing to be spent for others? Are we willing to spend our lives for others? Because that's the kingdom into which we've been brought. That's the kingdom into which we've immigrated. We have become that people, the people, the nation, the kingdom that has no boundaries, that everyone is welcome in, who will bow their knee to Jesus and give their allegiance to him. Everyone who is willing to allow Jesus to spend his life for you and willing to spend your life for others. Maybe you haven't come into that kingdom yet. Maybe you're still on the outside looking in. This isn't a kingdom of perfect people. We're still selfish sometimes. And we're still self-consumed sometimes. But we're trying We're trying to look to the cross. We're trying to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're trying to allow God's gifts to flow through us to others. And we want you to be a part of that kingdom. We want you to be forgiven of your sins and be brought into this kingdom so that together we can love each other and help each other and encourage each other. And so that together we can reach our neighbors and we can reach the world with the message of this king and the message of this kingdom. And tell the world that the only life that's not wasted is life Spend on others. Or maybe you just need encouragement or prayers. I know I do. I know I need encouragement to stay on track. Keep my focus. Don't get bogged down with the things going on in the world. Stick to the good news. Don't get discouraged. Have hope. I need you to pray for me and we want to pray for you. And maybe you're at a place in your life and you don't feel like anybody cares or anybody loves you. Let us prove you wrong. Let us prove to you that we love you. Let us prove to you that we would do anything for you. Let us prove to you that we want you to be a part of our family and a part of this calling and a part of this cause and a part of this kingdom that is bigger than ourselves. 
let us love you and let us pray for you. In a minute after services, my office in the back, our shepherds are going to pray with anybody who would like those prayers. So you can come forward now as together we stand and sing this song.